Amen. What a song. You know, we can come up with all the gimmicks and we can dress this place up to where it looks like we're living in 2020 already. But what we got to do is lift up that name. If we just lift up that name, it'll happen. It'll happen. We just lift up that name. That name is powerful. Well, if you'll take out your message notes, uh, if, you, if you missed last week's sermon or week before, you can catch those online. Uh, I hope you can, you can get that. I've, uh, we're on this thing about purpose-driven family. We're going to be in it most of the summer. Uh, we're going to finish up. We're actually going to finish up with the first part, even though it took four parts to do it. Uh, today, three weeks ago, I, I talked about accepting that, that one of the things that we can do, a principle of how to bring out the best in the kids, to, is accept their uniqueness completely. We got to accept their uniqueness completely. We don't need to try to mold our kids into someone else. We just need to unfold what's already there, what God has done. So accept them completely. Then we need to affirm their value uh, was the second thing that we talked about. Affirm their value constantly. And then the third thing is trust them with increasing responsibility. We talked about that last week and, and uh I actually got a lot of, a lot of input, I'll say, from, from the sermon last week, and, and, uh, and, or the lesson, I, I should say, about trusting our kids with a little, and, 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 and a lot of times we wonder why our kids can't do anything at 18 or 19. We've never trusted them when they were six with little bitty things. You know, and that's why we're, we're doing with our middle school. Now, that's what led me to, to kind of go when I started talking to to, to uh, Colton and, and, and Jack and him about this whole thing last night with the middle school. You got to trust them a little, man. They're our future leaders, Amen. you know. And, and how are we supposed to? How are, they, how are we supposed to not be ready with a lot if we can't trust them with a little? Amen. Trust them with responsibility and stop taking responsibility for our kids. Anytime we take responsibility. Uh, from some, we're taking it away from them. All right. Now, this week, um, I've actually stepped on my own toes. I know some of you guys, I stepped on yours last week. I want you to know, I'm not that perfect parent either. I want you to know, this week, I got on mine. Fourth principle is this. If you're writing here, correct without condemning. If we're to get the best from our kids, we've got to correct without condemning. Correct without condemning. Now, we all need correction at times. We're not perfect. We all have sinned and, and we all make mistakes. It's our... Our nature uh, to do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. We all need correction. Our children uh, need correction. Proverbs 3.12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, just like a father corrects the child that he delights in. Guys, I want to tell you something. Correction 
is not out of punishment. Correction is out of love. Despite this word tells us that parents, uh, uh, parents correct their child because they delight in that child. Parents correct their children because they love that child and they want that child to succeed. Here's what I'm going to tell you, and, and, and don't walk out on me. I, I, I'm going to explain this, but some of you may not get this right off, and you may want to slap me in the face. If you are God's child, God never punishes you. If you are God's child, God never punishes you. If you are in God's family, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are in the family. Now, everybody is created by God, but not everyone is in his family. you got to ask to get in that family. And if you're in God's family, God never punishes you when you do something wrong. You know why? Because Jesus Christ took all that punishment on the cross. Jesus Christ took all the punishment on the cross. God doesn't punish us. He corrects us. The Word says He corrects us. He disciplines us. But punishment? No. Because punishment looks at the past. Punishment is from the past. But discipline is correction for the future. Now are y'all okay with what I said? I know some of y'all wouldn't agree with me. Some of y'all are ready to go with it. Jim has lost it. His wife's gone and he's gone. God doesn't punish you and me if we're followers of Christ. Jesus died for all our sins, including the ones we ain't committed yet. Amen? He died for every one of them. It was all included at the cross. It has been paid for. Let me tell you a little secret. God doesn't get even with you. God doesn't get even with you. So as a parent, we don't want to punish for the past. We don't want to punish for the past. We want to correct for the future. Correct. A lot of difference here. Big difference. And that's called discipline. Now, some experts, if you read them enough, they reject the idea of any kind of discipline in the home. But the Bible says that if you don't discipline your, your child, it means two things. Number one, it means you don't really love them. If you don't discipline Look at Proverbs 13, 24. If you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. My mother loved me a lot. <laughs> if you love your children, you'll be prompt to discipline them. Amen? She loved the stripes on my legs. She loved me a lot. You, you know, you want them to become responsible, don't you? You want your children to become mature. You want your children to be on the, on the right path. You want them to be a success in life. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your children while they are young enough to learn. If you don't, 
you are helping them what? Destroy themselves. You are adding to the destruction in their lives if you don't teach them how to live a disciplined life. A disciplined life. Let me tell you something about a disciplined life. Most of the work done today is done by people who don't want to do it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do y'all honestly think that I want to teach y'all every Sunday? Do y'all honestly think that, 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 that I want to get up every morning at 4 o'clock and do my quiet time? And work on my sermon and then go work out for 20 minutes and then go make biscuits? No, I don't. But I do it. You do it. Every one of us go do something every day. Well, not every one of us. That's part of the problem. Not every one of us are disciplined. It takes discipline to get up and go and do when you don't want to do I'll throw my son on the bus. Do you think he wants to teach your children every Sunday? Your undisciplined children? <laughs> Do you? He does anyway. He does because he's disciplined. And that started at a young age. He does. We do it because of discipline. I'm telling you guys, the right thing to do is not always the easy thing to do. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Well, how do you do the, the right thing without condemning them? Without scarring them emotionally? Without shaming them? Or without harming them in their relationships. And this next one, this first one's tough on me because I did it too many times. Here's what you should never do. Write this in. You never correct in anger. You never correct in anger. If you're angry at what one of your kids did, you need to wait. You need, you need to cool down and, and, and then do the discipline. I screwed up here. Because I'm telling you, you've got to never correct when you're angry. Because if you're angry, all you're going to do is overreact. Amen? You know, if you're honest with yourself, and I had to be honest with myself this week. If you're angry, you're going to overreact. And overreaction leads to overcorrection. And overcorrection is just as harmful as the overprotection. Just as harmful. In a child's life, Ephesians 6, 4, says, Fathers, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Instead, bring them up with the loving discipline that God approves, with suggestions and godly advice. You know what anger produces? Anger. Anger produces anger. 
You know, when I get used to, when I get angry with, with, with my kids, when I get irritated, when irritated with them, it felt good to let it out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It felt good to let them out. It, it feels good to release frustration. But correcting in anger, according to Scripture, creates resentment. It creates anger in return. It actually harms the relationship. You know why? Because you will reap whatever you sow. Let that sink in. I didn't get but one amen. You correct in anger. You will reap whatever you sow. If you're going to get angry at your kids, then they're going to get angry at you. You wonder why they're angry? If you're going to get negative with your kids, they're going to be negative. If you're going to be oppressive and you're going to be controlling, guess what they're going to be? Oppressive and controlling. Let me tell you what, what, what discipline and anger is. You can write this down. It's just retaliation. Discipline and anger is just, it's just getting even. It, it's not discipline. It might make you feel good, but it doesn't actually help the relationship. You know, you can scare people into doing almost anything. If, if you really think about it. Anger and, or fear might be able to change their behavior in the moment. Y'all know what I'm saying? But it's harmful to the relationship. In the moment, you get the room clean. In the moment, but it charms the relationship. Because I'm going to tell you something. They're going to remember that temper, that anger, and that damage that it does more than any other way. Guys, we've got to correct without condemning. And the second way that I messed up is this. Write this down. We've got to choose our words carefully. Choose my words carefully. Choose my words carefully. Of all the times that you and I need to be the most precise. And we need to think through what we need to say. is when we're trying to discipline our child. That's when we need to think about it the most. Amen? I didn't always do that. But I, as your pastor, telling you that I was wrong. I was wrong in those times. The Bible says to do it this way. To choose our words carefully. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use harmful words. Use only helpful words. The kind that build up. Guys, words that build up. Words that, 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 that shame, words that hurt, words that create a offense. 
Words can create resentment. I'm telling you something, guys. Harmful words become hurtful memories. Harmful words become hurtful memories. Y'all remember the poem in Rockmart? We had a poem that went around school. Uh, Sticks and stones. Y'all have that up here too? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, will never hurt me. Y'all had that too? That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a, that's, that's a lie. A broke arm heal up in two or three months. Words still hurt us 20 years later. Words hurt. Adults still remember those hurtful words. And words hurt more, particularly when they're said in anger. It's just the emotional force of a bigger human being saying it to a smaller human being. An authority figure. Guys, it sticks. It sticks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That boy never amounted to anything. That boy can't do anything right. That boy's scared of everything. Guys, you ought to just, if that's all you're going to say, you ought to just put a muzzle on your mouth. Speak the truth in love. Choose your words carefully. I want to tell you something. This is just a little side note, kind of a by the way. What I found out with my kids. When kids open up to you, it's rarely face to face. Most of the time it's kind of side by side. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you're doing something together. Or when you're riding in a car. And... They might even be in the back seat. My kids opened up to me. Just side by side. I used to want to have these formal meetings. Where we'd sit across from the table. <laughs> that was stupid. <laughs> My kids would open up to me. If we'd just walk around out in the yard. They'd open up. If we, were, if we were just side by side. But here's what I want to tell you. When they do open up, don't freak out. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Freak out on the inside. Side by side, they're going to tell you a lot of stuff. And that opening may not be long. Y'all know what I mean? It may just be for a few moments. Don't freak out on the outside. You freak out on the outside, guess what happens? They clamming up. That opening ain't going to be long at all anyway. Just freak out on the inside. Guys, the, the, the way that you relate to children. 
the reason why it, it, it's, it's so important is it, it just doesn't affect them. It affects future generations. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're the product of generations before you. And they may have, have did it the wrong way. There's lots of experts say that the decisions in a home can affect five generations. Did y'all know that? There was a study by a man named Jonathan Edwards that compared him. Jonathan Edwards first lived a godly life, and he practiced these principles. I can remember his name. I can't remember the other guy's name, and, I, and you'll know why in a minute. This is true. It's a true study. And not like everything else I told you was a lie, but this is real true. <laughs> that always does sound, well, this is true right here. Disregard everything else. It was a lie, but this, this is the truth. Jonathan Edwards raised his children with these principles, these godly principles. Five generations went by. And they charted everything. In these five generations, he had a vice president. I think his grandson or great-grandson was a vice president. He had 62 physicians. I think 13 governors. A bunch of nurses, a bunch of doctors. I mean, uh, people that did good. And served. He had 14 or 15 pastors in his family lineage. Every one of them served their community because he raised his kids in these principles. And they looked at five generations and all these people serving their community, being great citizens. Then they took another family and looked at him. He did not raise his kids according to these principles. They looked at five generations. Something like 67 were in prison. Almost half were addicted to drugs. Polar opposite. Polar opposite. You could affect five generations. You might say, well, I was on the bad side. You can make a change. You can make a change. I know I tried. Failed in a lot of ways. I can't blame anyone but myself. But you can make a change. You don't have, have to be Controlled by your past. You just don't have to be that. Five generations. The generation, the decisions you make today matter. You can see it, guys. You can see it time after time. It's a biblical principle. You raise these, they'll be law-abiding, they'll be productive citizens. 
There's a saying. Sometimes we'll stand true. That I still hear people say today. But I'm against it. The saying is this. When they see kids get in trouble. Do-do breeds do-do. We can stop that. You can stop that. You can stop that with your generation. You can stop it by simple decision. By simple decision that Robert taught us this morning. Go to God and do what's right. Go to God. Do what's right. Do what's good. Break that chain. It doesn't have to be that way. You might say, well, so you might say, well, Jim, I've, I've already raised my kid and I've already messed up. It, it ain't too late. We're going to be talking about that in a minute, what, what you can do. You have influence. Whether your kid's grown or not, you have influence on, and whether you don't have kids, you have influence on the next generation. Here's the fifth principle. Here's what you can do. Even if your kids are grown, you can love them fiercely and unconditionally. Love them fiercely and unconditionally. I want you to really, really hammer in on this love them fiercely. Well, how do we love them fiercely and unconditionally? Write this in, number one. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Some, some of you guys need to do this. Y'all need to learn to offer forgiveness. You need to learn to ask for forgiveness. You need to learn to accept forgiveness. And I think mostly you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself. What am I saying here? I'm saying you need to live in a spirit of forgiveness. I know so Angie and I are coming up on our 30th anniversary. June the 10th. Married 30 years. I know some of you are saying, what a lucky woman she is. But, and we have a wonderful marriage. We have a great marriage. And somebody asked me uh, this week, you know, they said, how do, you, how do you have such a great marriage after 30 years? I tell them all the time. And I tell you this. A great marriage is a union of great forgivers. Because believe it or not, I mess up sometimes. I make bad decisions sometimes. But she forgives me. And if you're great at forgiving, you're going to have a, have a great marriage. But if you have a hard time at forgiving, you ain't going to have a good marriage. I'm here to tell you. If you can't forgive, you've you got to be able to. And, and ask for it completely. Forgive, you, you know, completely. Offer it, you, you know, and receive it completely. 
Live in the spirit of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and loving to each other. Forgiving each other just as God forgave you in Christ. You know how God forgave you? Instantly. God forgave you completely and freely. When I went and asked God forgiveness, you know what he didn't say? He didn't say, let me think about it. You know what else he didn't say? He didn't say, give me some time to get over it. Y'all ever heard that? I've heard it. He didn't say, or he didn't say, I want to hold a grudge for a while. Some of you guys still holding grudges. Folks are dead, you're still holding a grudge over them. Completely, instantly, freely. He, he forgave us. And guys, that's how you got to forgive your kids. You got to forgive them instantly. You got to forgive them instantly. You may need to go home today. And, and some of you guys were raised it. You didn't ask your kids for forgiveness. Well, you're wrong. You're just wrong. You screw up too. And your kids are going to learn how to, they've got to forgive you too. I got to tell you something, guys. I, do, I have to do this from time to time. I had to text Luke the other day and ask for his forgiveness. And you may, some of you may be, may think that I'm not much of a, a man or a dad because I got to say I'm sorry. Well, I got something to say to you. <laughs> My son and I talk. We have to offer and receive forgiveness to each other a lot. But I love him. I ain't always done the right thing. I hadn't always, I, I've corrected in anger. But the Bible says that before honor is humility. Guys, we've got to humble ourselves. I don't think we want to be humbled. Humble yourselves. Let me tell you something. As a parent, been a parent, I've been a parent a long time. Sarah just turned 26 yesterday. You're going to be hurt as a parent. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But godly parents keep on loving. They may forget your birthday. They may not do nothing for Mother's Day. They may not get you anything for Father's Day. They may forget to carry the trash out. They may have every pair of used underwear stuffed under their mattress. <laughs> Keep on loving them. Keep on loving them. Just as Christ loved you. He loved you. Didn't he? Warts and all, he took you. Give him some, some grace, man. 
Give your kids some grace. Which leads to the second thing of how to love fiercely is this. Never give up on them. Amen. Never, never give up on them. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. This is real love. Real love never gives up on people. The fact is, we're all going to have failures. You know, there's going to be some times that, uh, uh, that, that we have somebody that wants to give up on us. When we, when we mess up, but when we mess up is when we need somebody to, to point us to the grace of God. We all need somebody that offers forgiveness, who helps uh, us to forgive ourselves. We need someone to give us a second chance. Let me tell you something. A second chance is fierce love. That's fierce love. And your Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, does this with us. I think that's the most attractive quality that I know of of God is that He is the Father of second chances. The Father of second chances. Dads, I want to ask you, who do you need to give a second chance to? Moms, who do you need to give a second chance to? Business people, who do you give a second chance to? I want to tell you something. God ain't never gave up on you. Isaiah 54, 10. The mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. Human love wears out. It has its limit. It's why you and me, we need God's love. Guys, you and me, we don't have uh, uh, enough love to be a, a great parent on our own. We need God's love because it don't run out. I'm talking about to do anything, to be a parent, a, a, a professional, to be a friend. We need God's love. We need His wisdom. Proverbs 14, 26, I'm going to wind it up with this. Reverence for God gives man a deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. My prayer, my prayer for me is that my kids, my future grandkids, uh, if I live long enough, my future Great-grandkids, although if my kids don't get in a hurry, I ain't going to have no great-grandkids. <laughs> Not y'all, sir. Let me, let me get clear on that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I got beside myself. That my grandkids and my great-grandkids have a place of security because of my reverence for God. I hope it's generational. I hope it's generational. You see, because I'm accountable to him. Him, I mean God. Uh, 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 that, that I will not mistreat them. I'm accountable. You're accountable. These five things that we looked at these past three weeks, these five things that God does with you, He accepts you uniquely and completely. He made you. God accepted you. You should accept others.
God affirms your value constantly. He made you. He died for you. That's how valuable that you are. He gave his son for you. And now his Holy Spirit lives in you. You're pretty valuable. Then he trusts you with responsibility. He allows us to fail. He knows that's where we're, we're, we're going to learn. Then he corrects us without condemning. He loves us fiercely and unconditionally. You see, the key to being a great parent, and I believe the key to being a great business leader, a great boss, is to be a godly person. But to be a godly person is going to take courage. To be a godly person is going to take courage to go against the culture. To be a godly person, it's going to take courage to live differently. It's going to take, take courage to do what is right. We need to be courageous, as that song says. Let's pray. My Lord, you are our example as godly men and women. In your word, the Holy Bible, I thank you so much that it's here because it gives us the instructions and the way to go. And I pray for the folks that, that didn't have a, a godly person in their life. I pray that we as a church can become that godly person in some way, shape, or form. I pray for this next generation. And I do pray for the great-grandchildren and the great-great that we'll never see. That they'll get it from us. Lord, we love you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen.